Welcome to the Human Performance Outliers Podcast with your host, Zach Bitter. At Human Performance Outliers Podcast, we dive into a wide range of topics, including health, fitness, and training strategies, to name a few. If you enjoy the show and wish to support, please visit patreon.com forward slash HPO podcast. If you do not use Patreon or wish to make a one-time donation, please visit the show PayPal page at paypal.me forward slash HPO pod. Links to both of those can be found in the show notes. Also, consider subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening platform and on our video version of the show hosted on YouTube. For updates and notifications, please visit my social media channels at Zach Bitter on Instagram, at ZBitter on Twitter, and at Zach.Bitter on Facebook. If you wish to sponsor the show or have any other questions or feedback, please reach out to me at HPOPodcast at gmail.com. Hey folks, just a quick announcement before we get rolling with this episode. I just uploaded 26 unique training plans to my website. They range from 12-week base building plans all the way up to advanced 100-mile training plans. If you're looking for a bit more guidance with your training, please consider checking out my offerings at zachbitter.com. That's Z-A-C-H-B-I-T-T-E-R.com. Once on the site, click the link on the top titled Training Plans and see if anything fits your needs. I'm also looking to continue to add to this catalog, so do not hesitate to reach out with any suggestions. Thanks, everyone. I'm going to start from the beginning and kind of uh, go through what is uh, going to be just a training and nutrition chat about kind of how I've been structuring things and doing things for weeks two and weeks three of my uh, buildup for a transcontinental run project where I'm going to be running from San Francisco to New York in uh, this fall. So uh, just a bit of an intro uh, to kind of get things rolling here is just some of the questions, some of the inquiries that I've gotten after the first one, after some of the initial kind of announcements that I've been doing this and that sort of stuff is there tends to be the, the, the big question that people typically have or a question I see quite a bit or quite often is like, what are your expectations or, you know, what, what are you trying to do? What are you targeting here? And uh, the reality is that this is something so different from what I've done in the past that uh, it's hard to know. Like I could be really, really good at this type of thing where you're running a lot slower than I typically do for a single day ultra marathon, but I have to get up and do it over and over again for weeks on end, or I could be really bad at it. (laughs) So uh, there's a, a wide range of potential outcomes, which is maybe a little different than say, if I was training to do a flat hundred miler, there's some precedent there. So I think it's just a little easier to make uh, a tighter prediction for something like that uh, versus, versus something like this for me specifically, since this is a really big leap into something different. You know, I think uh, a lot of times when people think kind of moving, moving into different parts of the ultra marathon world, they think there's like an order of operations perhaps where, you know, you do hundred milers maybe, and then maybe you do some multi-day things like a three day or six day. Uh, and then you find yourself doing a transcontinental run. And I, I think there's some good reason to, to think that way. I'm not sure that's necessarily a bad approach for it. Uh, that's just not the way that I'm going to, going to do it or be able to do it really in the sense of, uh, just the timeline, uh, the things that I'm considering and like all that stuff. So I actually am looking forward a little bit to that uncertainty I think that's going to be kind of a fun, exciting piece to it. 
uh, learning some of this stuff along the way during the training, making changes as necessary, and hopefully narrowing that channel of potential outcomes as much as possible between now and the start through some training simulations and things like that, as well as just talking to people who've done it before. I mean, one thing I've been really fortunate with is I've had the opportunity to talk to a ton of people who've done it, a ton of people who, you know, including Pete Kosnick, who has the record. So that's like the high bar, right? Um, and the people who are just like, did it as an experience and were maybe a little more average in terms of how many miles per day they covered and kind of how those different things ranged and what their experiences were like, as well as talking to some of their crew, which has been really informative because I think what oftentimes maybe gets overlooked with some of these big projects like this is how much is going on behind the scenes with people helping out, you know, whether it's the person managing the RV or the person who's handing me water and fuel and things along the way and, and all that sort of stuff. So I've been really fortunate that the folks I've reached out so far that uh, I wanted to talk to that I was familiar with have been excited to talk to me as well as folks reached out, have reached out that I, that I had, had not thought of at first glance that were like, Hey, I'd love to chat about this. And I think that's the good, that's been, that information has been invaluable so far. There's been a lot of things that have been highlighted in my mind that had I not known about before, I'm sure it would have cost me time out there. So I'm going to continue to do that over the next uh, eight-ish weeks or so as I get closer to that kind of September timeframe when, when I'm going to start this. Uh, but in terms of my expectations, I'm really open-minded to it. I mean, in a perfect world, would I love to try to take a swing at Pete's record? Absolutely. Do I think there's maybe a chance that I could potentially be good enough to do that? Yes. Is it guarantee? Absolutely not. So that's about all I have in terms of information on that at this point. Uh, I think as these live streams progress, maybe we'll get a little bit of a closer look at something like that as I'm able to kind of build out some of the simulations uh, and some of those, what I would call like maybe seedlings to the simulations that I've done so far uh, are just kind of helping, helping me kind of inch a little closer to getting a glimpse into that sort of stuff. Um, so let's jump into it. So I've got weeks two and weeks three to cover. I'm going to go through them one at a time in terms of just the specifics of what I did that week. Then I'm going to touch on some strength and mobility stuff that I've been implementing, as well as a little bit of a deeper dive into the nutrition from last time. Uh, last time, I kind of just shared my macronutrient ratios that I targeted for week one. This time, I'm going to share that as well as a sample day. So you kind of have a, a glance into maybe what makes up at least one of those days. Uh, I would look at it just as that it's a single day within the context of that specific day. And with this type of a buildup, as you'll find out, there are days where I'm running over 36 miles. There's days where I'm running over 40 miles. There's days where I'm not running at all. So with that comes a little bit of variance with nutrition and things like that as well. So just keep that in mind as we go through that sort of stuff. Uh, all right. So week two, week two was a total of 150 miles total. And that came in the the context of three high volume days. Uh, one of the, or two of those high volume days was the simulate, was a simulation. Uh, I'll touch on that in a bit here. And then a speed work session. So I'm trying to keep some speed work in throughout the course of this, even though it's very non-specific to the intensity at which I'll be moving on the day of. But I do think that just that type of fitness is gonna be useful from just uh, a strength component uh, an injury prevention component, you know, fast running does promote form. It helps with form. It helps with efficiency in your economy, your running economy. So those sort of things, I think I'm going to keep in place uh, pretty much throughout. Uh, obviously, I'm going to be, be paying a close attention to how my body's responding. I don't want to hurt myself in preparation either. So 
that's something I will I'll adapt a bit as things go along, but I plan to kind of keep something in that. So for week two, my, uh, the speed session I did was a five by three minute uh, hard interval session. And when I'm doing these kind of three minute intervals historically, usually if I can get to like a kilometer or just a little past a kilometer in that three minute interval stretch, I'm in a pretty good spot. I'm kind of developed in that system to the point where I'm ready to move on to something a little more specific towards the race intensity that I'm planning on doing for the single day ultras. So I was actually really pleasant, pleasantly surprised with my five by three that I did on week two. I was the last three of those. I actually hit a kilometer almost exactly for those. So I didn't quite expect it to be that quick just because, um, I've been doing some longer, slower stuff, which tends to slow me down a little bit on some of these faster things in historically. I have been doing some short interval sessions before this, so it's not like this is the first one I've done in a long time. Uh, I've done a few after I recovered from jackpot and kind of started focusing my training more structured for the transcontinental run. So maybe I shouldn't have been so surprised. Uh, the other thing that was worth noting is it was it's been getting pretty warm here in Phoenix. So if I get out early, you know, it might be in the 80s, but it gets up to 100 pretty quick these last few weeks. So heat is going to be a variable that I'm going to have to deal with in some of the training, some of the simulations that won't be nearly as big of a factor on project date because it just won't be that warm when I start in September. Uh, which will be nice. So I think there'll be some maybe benefits from that. And, you know, in 2019, when I trained for a uh, hundred mile and 12 hour at the Pettit center, you know, that's an indoor facility that's kept at like 60 degrees. I did a ton of my race specific training for that event in a hundred plus degree weather. So I think there's uh, some value to kind of maybe suffering a little more in the heat for training and then having that relief on, on event day, or in this case, project day. Um, but again, you know, that's, that's a view of a single day event. And this is going to be a, a likely a six plus week project. So we'll see how that kind of plays out. The transcon simulation for week two was day one. I did kind of two runs, two longer runs that were back to back and more back to back than I guess I were more compressed, I should say, than a typical back to back. You know, I didn't give myself a whole lot of time in between them. And I actually did some active uh, things in between. So it wasn't like, you know, do the first run you know, lay around for five hours, then do the second run. It was a 20.2 mile run in the morning where I averaged an eight minute, 20 second mile pace. And then, uh, you know, I, I refueled, rehydrated. I went for a three mile walk. And then shortly thereafter, went back out for another 20.2 mile run, which was at eight minute and 40 second pace. Uh, so that was kind of day one of the first simulation. Um, and then, uh, then my big, curiosity after that was just what is going to what is it going to feel like the next day so i know what it feels like after i race an ultra marathon or do a long run kind of what it's going to feel like the next day and i, I was looking to maybe compare kind of with that so the next morning i was pretty surprised i wasn't really that beat up uh not that sore not that tight didn't take a whole lot of motivation to get back out and uh so i headed out the next morning for a 36.3 mile run which i did at about a nine minute pace so things to think about with this one or things I thought about this one, it, it was quite warm, especially that second 20 mile run, 20.2 mile run. Uh, I think it was got up to maybe 106 degrees on that one. So I went through a ton of water. Uh, I think that second run was over four liters of water. Uh, it, I have a, I, what I've been doing, at least here in, in the desert is wearing kind of long sleeves or long or like arm sleeves that are white 
with a t-shirt so that my skin is mostly all covered. My neck's covered. I've got a visor on, so my face is covered and trying to keep that direct sun off of me. And then that also allows me to, if I do like topical cooling, like I put water on that clothing and stuff, it just helps kind of stay a little cooler in that kind of dry heat environment. So that's, that was kind of the biggest hurdle to get over. Uh, the second morning I got out early enough. So it wasn't quite as, as brutal as that second run was from a heat standpoint, but I still went through quite a bit of water for that one. I think that one I did almost five liters of water. Um, only difference with that one versus the, the back-to-back 20 milers with the three mile walk in between, uh, was I, I actually stopped at a, at a coffee shop and got a nice coffee, around mile 22 and, and a little bit of caffeine, a little bit of cream maybe helped uh, put thing or push things forward a bit for that, for the end of that run. Uh, but really these first two simulations, I didn't really do a whole lot of intra run fueling. I will be changing that as I move forward and I get a better grasp of just kind of like, what are my day-to-day calorie needs going to be on some of these bigger efforts. Uh, but the way I like to do long runs historically is I'll usually put them into kind of two categories one is kind of like a fat adaptation test where if I can go out there with just water and electrolytes and feel really even, then, you know, I'm probably burning high enough rates of fat that I don't really, uh, you know, need to necessarily push the needle on that much further. And then I'll start practicing whatever fuel st- strategy I'm going to be using just so I kind of get my body used to whatever that's going to be. So um, these first couple of weeks, I was a little more in that kind of uh, that testing phase with that. So I didn't do other than the cream I had in the coffee on that second run. Uh, there was really no calories during, during that simulation, plenty before and after, but, uh, just none during guys focusing only on water and electrolytes for the most part. So I think I went through on that first day, I had like an element pack of electrolytes, which is about a thousand milligrams in that first 20 miler. And then another one in the second 20 miler. And then for the day two, the 36.3 miler, I think I did two packets of element, uh, inside, uh, the context of that run as well. Uh, week three was a little bit different because I actually spent half of this week in Austin. So it was still dealing with the heat, but it was just a more, a little lower actual temperature, but much higher humidity. So I think it peaked at like 97 degrees, uh, with just like drenching, uh, humidity. So I, I kind of relearned or reintroduced myself to what it's like to run in humid weather versus dry weather. I grew up, I started running, I started some of my bigger training sessions in the Midwest. So training in the summer in the Midwest, I definitely had some perspective as to like kind of what to do in humid weather and recognize like some of the signs of, uh, you know, what's, what I need to do differently there. Uh, I did make one mistake that I'll talk about a bit when I get to the simulation that was kind of a good reminder of what to maybe pay attention to uh, with the transcontinental project, because with that going from San Francisco to New York, even though it won't be nearly as hot as midsummer, it will be moving from dry climates to humid climates and things like that. So it'll be good to have perspective in both of those uh, for, for planning purposes. So that third week came out to about 131.35 miles total. Uh, I did one incline hike set, uh, session in there too. So one thing I'm going to start implementing more is some um, up and down stuff just to kind of accommodate some of those like mountain passes that'll go through moving, moving across the country. So for that one, it was just a three mile hike, uh, with 3000 feet of climbing. Uh, I'm going to build that out as I go further. And I'll probably actually use that as a bit of a tool as the temperatures kind of stay high. And I start stretching out these simulations to the point where it's just kind of ridiculous to be outside for, 
the entire heat of the day during the summer in Phoenix, especially for multiple days in a row. So I'm going to be kind of mindful of using some of those tools like treadmills and things like that. And then, you know, if I'm going to be on a treadmill, I may as well use that as a time to kind of uh, prepare for some of the more inclined types of related things on, on this project. Let's just get my body used to that too. Uh, one thing that Pete mentioned to me when he did his transcontinental project was early on, I think it was even in the first week, he aggravated uh, the front of his like foot and calf area from kind of the, just the different way his foot would flex going uphill. So that in combination with maybe a bit of an aggressive start, he ended up having to take a full day off, to let that settle down. Um, which also just highlights how impressive his, his accomplishment actually was. He averaged 72 and a half miles a day with a day off. So <laughs> he was actually moving closer to like 74, 75 miles uh, per day. When you look at just like days where he was out there moving. Um, so within that, uh, the next is the simulation for that week. So I more or less replicated the simulation I did the week before. The biggest difference was I was in Austin versus Phoenix. I like to do kind of two simulations at least in a row where they are where they are like fairly similar at least in distance and time so i can sense like if i'm making any progress or if i can if i make a mistake or if something goes well or goes bad i can kind of retest it and get a second look at it and just see kind of how i'm how i'm developing without adding too much extra stress which could could you know could make the experience feel differently so I did that same structure of that first day, kind of splitting the run up into two with a very tight window in between. So that came with a 20 miler at 804 pace per mile, minute per mile, and a 20.1 miler at 855 per mile. And then the second day was a 33.2 miler at 848 uh, minute per mile pace. So that was, uh, like I said, all done in Austin. Biggest difference was the humid side of things, which uh, one thing I learned was in in Phoenix, I don't really mind wearing a pack. You know, I'm wearing long white stuff anyway, just to do topical cooling and keep the sun off my skin. And as long as I stay wet, I stay relatively cool in the dry heat with that setup. It's not a great setup at all in the humid weather. I mean, obviously I wasn't putting the sleeves on in the humid weather. Your body just, the moisture just stays on your skin in the humid weather. So you don't really need clothing to do that for you. Uh, but you definitely don't want to wear a pack. Uh, not a pack with a t-shirt on anyway. So what I noticed on the second run was when I got maybe a little past midway, I, I could just tell I was starting to kind of overheat a little bit. So I actually turned around, went back to the hotel room, uh, stood in front of the air conditioner, like turned it down as low as it would go, like 60 degrees or whatever that was. And just let it like kind of drop my core temp a little bit for about five minutes. And then went back out with just shorts on, no shirt and a handheld and, one of the reasons why I wore the pack in the first place was kind of a convenience factor. And I wasn't quite as familiar with the area. So I didn't know exactly where all the water fountains were. Uh, I quickly realized though, that there were quite a few water fountains out in the area I was running. So there just wasn't a real need for a pack uh, other than the convenience of not having to stop. So um, after that though, I, I thought to myself, it's going to be just easier to to go this route and, and, you know, stay a little cooler. So uh, that, was day one day two the or yeah day two was a 33.2 miler 848 pace that one went really well i got up early enough where it was a little cooler than that second run and it just felt really smooth i didn't feel like i had any like miles in my legs from the day before the pace felt comfortable motivation was high uh so that was a kind of a good uh follow-up i definitely felt like the second simulation went slightly better than the first one in terms of just 
kind of how I felt and just kind of wrapping my head around all of it. Uh, granted, these are what I would call kind of seedlings to what will ultimately be a full-blown simulation of two to three days, a little closer to the amount of volume I'm going to spend out on a single day for the transcontinental project. So, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm being mindful of that too. It, things could change. My body could behave differently as I kind of build that stuff up as well. Uh, but so far I'm, I'm, I'm pretty happy with kind of how things have been progressing. The, the next simulation I do, I will stretch out a little bit longer than these two and start to explore a little bit of a further distance uh, on a per day standpoint. So for these ones, it ends up being like usually about five to six hours of actual moving time somewhere in that neighborhood. And uh, ultimately, I'd like to get that up to maybe 12 to 14 is kind of the target uh, spot that I think I think is a good target to do for a day to day at whatever pace that ends up being for the project itself. Uh, so that's kind of a little bit of a for foresight there. Hey folks, I want to make a quick shout out to some of my personal athlete sponsors and offer all of you some discount options if you think my gear is also right for you. My shoe of choice, Ultra Footwear, is offering listeners 15% off. They make a foot-shaped, balanced, cushioned shoe that fits like a glove. S-Fuels is offering 5% off, and they are my go-to low-carb workout and lifestyle product of choice. Eggweights is offering 15% off their running form, strength work, and recovery products. Finally, Purpose Performance Wear is offering 10% off my favorite workout apparel, including my own signature series. So head over to zachbitter.com forward slash my gear or the profile link on my social media channels to check out these discounts and more. All right, folks, now back to the show. Uh, the next thing I want to touch on a bit is just kind of the strength and mobility component. I had a few people reach out and ask about that after the last stream where it was essentially like, you know, what are the exact movements that you're focusing on at the moment? So uh, I wrote down a list of kind of the different stuff I've been doing in the gym and the frequency of that too. So the strength and mobility side, I've been doing a few moves that I've done, you know, most days I would say about five days a week. Uh, I'll do the, I'll do these movements. Uh, one is that reclining hero. Uh, I just like the relative way that that kind of stretches out my quads and, and that sort of stuff and kind of keeps that, that range of motion open. Um, the kneeling hip flexor stretch, that's probably my favorite one right now. Uh, I've historically had tight hip flexors, which isn't all that uncommon. A lot of times, especially if you're sitting, you put yourself in position to have tight hip flexors. So that kneeling hip flexor stretch really helps kind of loosen those up. And for me specifically, what happens when my hip flexors get really tight is I don't always feel it in the hips. I'll feel it under my knee. So like that tightness kind of travels down probably along the IT band and then you, you feel it on your knee. So if I ever have any type of knee soreness, then as soon as I stretch out my hip flexors, it goes away immediately. So I keep that one in just for that, for those purposes. There's actually a machine at the gym I go to that is built specifically to stretch the hip flexor. So when I'm at the gym, I'll definitely hop on that thing and get a good deep stretch out of that. Uh, a couple other things I'll do is the pigeon pose. And then I don't do a ton of static stretching on routine. And when I do do it, I try to keep it away from some of the more like intense or explosive things like strength work or speed intervals and things like that. Uh, but I will do some hamstring stretches and some calf stretches for in a static fashion, kind of longer holding positions, uh, especially for the calves. Uh, I'm kind of a four foot supinator. So my where I bear a lot of weight on my strides kind of in the front of the foot, which uh, it kind of loads my calves up a little bit more than maybe someone who's a mid to back their foot striker. 
so with that, if I'm getting into like some bigger training blocks, sometimes my calves will get a little tight and it's, uh, it, it's, it feels at least feels good to stretch them out. So that that's something I've kept in from that side of things too. On the strength work front, I've been doing about, uh, you know, three sessions per week. And within those sessions, I'll usually split them up between like upper body core and then lower body. And usually I'll try to focus the lower body stuff on, uh, on days where I'm doing something a little more explosive in the running side of things or a little faster on the running side. So I'm keeping those higher, more power-based things together. And then the easy rest recovery days, uh, I'm also letting that recover. So I'm not necessarily like hitting fast intervals one day, then the next day going to the gym and doing lower body, you know, leg work or things like that. That's kind of going hard, hard on those. So I try to stay away from that if I can. This is a little different because there's not nearly as much speed work as I would have in a typical training plan. So it, you, I just had to be a little more kind of flexible with where I put them. But within the context of that, I'll do like three by five on the leg press single leg. Uh, I like to do single leg for these because one thing I noticed when I started focusing a little more on strength work was that my left leg was actually stronger than my right leg. If I did single leg uh, presses on the machine, I could usually, my right leg would fatigue maybe a rep or two earlier than my left one would. So the cool thing about that, that is I've been, since I've been doing the single leg ones, my right leg has caught up now. So it's, it's, uh, it, it's maybe still a pinch weaker, but, but not nearly to the degree it was before. Um, so that's kind of an interesting, interesting thing to discover and address. I uh, also do three by 10 of knee over toe squats. They're just body weight squats where essentially I'm moving forward in the position and driving my knees down towards past my toes. And really the key with those from what I found is you stop before you start to feel any sort of pain or any, any like deep tension, kind of the same way you would treat like a static stretch. And then over time, you just get a little bit deep, you can get deeper and deeper, deeper into it. So, you know, I've gone from in the early stages, you know, not going, being able to go too far, too far down and forward to being able to get almost down into a backward leaning position with that. Um, and I, I think that's just been kind of good in terms of developing some strength within kind of these, like uh, these more awkward positions and things like that. So I've been uh, incorporating those a bit. Uh, three by 10 weighted calf raises I've been doing. Uh, I've been doing three by 10 weighted cable twists, three by 10 lateral pull downs, three by 10 box steps, and three by 10 Bulgarian split squats. And then the one thing I do that's kind of more just uh, out of curiosity and fun is I'll do one set to failure of leg raises on this leg raise machine. Uh, so I'm like suspended uh, on my forearms and I'll just do leg raises. And I got kind of interested in this with uh, Dr. Ted Naiman's kind of like single set to failure approach. I was just curious, like if I do this consistency consistently, like a few times a week, usually I'll do two to three of these one set to failures on that per week. And I've been doing it now for, for a couple of months. So uh, it's been kind of fun just to see like how that progresses versus maybe something else. And I went from peaking out at around like 40, 45 so now I can pretty consistently get 90. And on one case, I got up to 100. Uh, but I'm pretty sure the time I got up to 100 was because I just had like a huge cup of coffee right before I went to the gym that morning. And I think that maybe just gave me a little more of a of a pop for that particular uh, setting. But that's been just kind of a fun exploratory one. I'm not sure that I'm doing myself any favors with it or not. But uh, just the curious side of me uh, having a little bit of fun in the gym with that one. Uh, next is the nutrition side. Uh, one thing I wanted to chat about with this was to highlight a bit of just kind of where my macronutrients are at, as well as provide that sample day. 
so that folks can kind of get a glimpse into kind of what exactly is built is comprising the macronutrients that I'm targeting. So the biggest thing within this from the last time I did the stream was last time I was targeting about 65% fat, 20% protein, and 15% carbs. Uh, I did that again in week two, that same macronutrient profile. For week three, I'm actually going to play around a little bit with a more strict ketogenic approach, uh, at, at least for the parts of the week that are kind of around these simulations, because I want to get a sense of just like how my mind and body feels from one session to the next during these simulations when I'm keeping my carbs very low versus just kind of standard low carb. Uh, or maybe maybe they won't really produce any difference and then it'll just become a like a preference thing or like a thing where like at a certain time of day, a little bit of carbohydrate is more or less a little bit like caffeine or something like that. Uh, so I'm kind of play around with that a little bit. Um, so for week three, I actually skewed the fat up a bit and skewed the, the carbs down. So that one was 75% fat and 20% protein, about 5% carbs. And uh, what I noticed, because I, I, I did, what I noticed during the simulation was I did feel like I was maybe less distracted by like just the, 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 the length of things. So like one thing I, I, I tend to find is there'll be certain like long runs and things like that, where you have a little bit of a harder time being in the moment versus constantly thinking about, okay, I got to get to here. I got to get to here. It's almost like a little bit of anxiety about trying to get it done. Um, I didn't feel that hardly at all during the second one. Uh, I was much easier just to say, Oh, okay. I'm seven miles into this first 20 miler. Um, this is fun. This is enjoyable. A little more kind of steady, even, uh, it's hard to tell whether, I mean, that's possible that it was just because I was running in Austin versus Phoenix. So it was a lot more newness, a lot less rep repetitive routes that I've done a bunch of times. So it's definitely something I'm going to continue to play around with to see if that continues to be the case, or if that's something that was just, uh, another variable that I'm not accounting for, or that is unrelated to being generally low carb versus a little more strict ketogenic. Um, but on top of that, a sample day, this day, I believe was in the context of a 12 mile easy run in a, in the morning, a five mile easy run in a strength session in the afternoon. And it came out to in the morning, I had a cup of coffee with two scoops of S fuels life powder and an S fuels life protein bar. And after that first morning run, I had eight eggs, two ounces of olive oil, two ounces of sharp cheddar cheese and sea salt kind of in the middle of the day between that first meal and that second five mile run and strength session. I had an apple, a couple of yogurt and one scoop of S feels revival, uh, for dinner that evening I had a one pound of ground beef, four ounces of sharp cheddar, two cups of broccoli and one medium potato that I boiled in bone broth and six tablespoons of sour cream and sea salt on that. And then, uh, on top of that throughout the day, I had two packets of element electrolytes, uh, and one capsule of bioptimizers magnesium breakthrough. So that was a kind of the sample day. I didn't look at the calorie count for that, but I think it's probably in the neighborhood of like maybe uh, 3,500 calories or so right around there. Um, I don't typically like get too hung up on like trying to hit a specific calorie number per day because I don't know that it necessarily matters per day, so to speak. I think like people get hung up on one day because it's kind of like this clean break point where Oh, I go to bed and that ends the day and I wake up the next morning. I start again. I, I tend to think it's more valuable, at least for me. And maybe this is just because my 
training schedule oftentimes has me doing like a big session followed by maybe a rest day or something like that. So there's so much variance between that energy output, but I always just kind of try to eat a little more intuitively within the macronutrient range. And sometimes that means I'm slightly under consuming on days that I'm putting out a lot of energy, but then I'm over consuming on days where I'm resting. So if I take a complete rest day and do very little movement and eat 3000 plus calories, I'm certainly eating more than I would need to just, you know, be hanging around the house. So uh, it ends up balancing itself out. And then if I'm paying attention to things like, like where my, my weight is staying, then I, that usually sheds more light on kind of whether I'm hitting enough or not. If I notice I'm starting to drop weight during a big training block and I don't want to be, then, you know, just eat more of what I'm eating within that macronutrient ratio. Uh, so that's kind of the way I traditionally have done it and historically done it. I'm going to probably, I'm going to have to get stricter as I get closer and start getting these simulations built up to where they are actually mimicking the time I'll spend out on the event itself, because I'm going to have to learn to consistently be eating you know, probably in the neighborhood of 10,000 to 15,000 calories per day. And that's just something that's, you know, like the training going to be new and something I'm going to have to learn and find out what food products are going to be easily digestible. Uh, you know, I think it's going to almost certainly be super high calories, super low volume uh, type of food products. I mean, I don't want to be full the entire the whole, entire project. I want to feel satisfied. Obviously, I want to get enough in to fuel the journey, but I don't want to feel like my stomach is stuffed or bloated and things like that. So that probably means a lot of high calorie, low volume type things. Uh, that's the way I'm thinking about it at the moment anyway. Uh, so that's what I got for this week. Um, I got a few questions that we can go through that popped up on the chat. That might be fun. Um, Chris asked, have you looked at using alpha one HRV measurement to determine aerobic threshold looks promising can be recorded in real time. Yeah, I've seen some of the stuff with that, you know, some of the smart watches and like GPS units are getting much more accurate, at least for me in terms of predicting like your aerobic threshold or your lactate threshold numbers and things like that. And essentially what they're doing is they're pooling it, the more you, the, I'm not, I'm not sure about the, the alpha one, Chris, I haven't used that one. I'm not familiar with it. Uh, but the stuff I've used, uh, I'll use like a Coros Apex or a Coros Vertex and what their program does is it just basically develops a pool of all your workouts and it's basing a lot of it off of pace and heart rate. And it uses that to kind of like give you these target ranges. So I don't know exactly the specifics of their algorithm, but all, all I do know is when I do test where my lactate threshold heart rate is at and the number they give me is very close. Um, it's like within a beat per minute, at least it has been. And some of that might just be the relative amount of workouts it has access to from that I've done in the past that I, it's able to get more at more accurate as it gathers more information. Um, that's where I'm at with, with that sort of stuff. Uh, also says, could milk kefir be used as a high density mobile food that you could use? Yeah. You know, I think dairy in general is going to be something that I'm going to lean on quite a bit because like just basically anything that gets cooked or made, if I can add like heavy cream to it, uh, or if, if I decide to like make like a protein, a high fat protein smoothie or something like that, like heavy cream and dairy is going to be a way to really boost the calorie count to that up, uh, and things like that. So I've been, I've, I've been having a fair bit of dairy in my diet just generally the last half year or so. So it's, it's less of a concern. I've been doing a fair bit of fermented stuff too, like yogurts. I've started making my own kefir, uh, a bit. I've got to get that batch back going. I haven't made any for a couple of weeks yet, but uh, those are all things I'm definitely going to probably use on on the the project itself. 
I'll probably start step away from making it myself on the project and just buy it for that. But um, these are all things I think would be great tools for it. Um, Dan asked, farm fresh whole milk has changed my life. Yeah, I mean, maybe when I go through the Midwest, someone can bring bring me by some fresh farm whole milk and fuel fuel the journey a little bit. That'd be great. So I'm I'm definitely on board with the whole milk. Actually, um, that was one thing that I introduced a little bit more of while I was in Austin, just because it was a little easier, you know, living out of a hotel just to have like a like a quart of whole milk in the fridge, and then uh, you know between sessions having a glass of that, or after a session having a glass of that was an easy way to get in some to get in some calories, uh, in a pretty easy to, you know, consume, you know, liquid is a easy way to get in a lot of calories. So, uh, definitely heading that direction. Let's see one other question. You mentioned your weight on Nick, Bear, Nick bears podcast. What is the difference in body weight and body fat percentage on race day compared to off season? Yeah, it's a good question. So, um, you know, I haven't consistently enough tested body fat to really know exact numbers. And there's so many different ways to do it. You kind of need a fairly consistent, you, you may even need the same machine if you're doing like, like say DEXA scans, which are going to be like probably the most accurate way to test body fat and muscle distribution and things like that. So what I do know is uh, I'm typically going to gain probably somewhere in the neighborhood of two, three, maybe four pounds after a goal race. And that's somewhat intentional. Usually when I'm at race weight, it's, uh, you know, after a really big buildup where I might be running, you know, 150 miles a week for a stretch. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm at where I find a pretty good power weight ratio for the intensities that I'm doing for like a hundred miles and things like that. And then after, after a race, I've got quite a bit of time between then and the start of the next goal race. So the way I look at it is if I, gain two, three, four pounds in kind of the off season. And then I start the training process again. It's just a little bit of a buffer when I get into some of the more uh, higher volume type stuff. So to a degree, when I'm really training hard, I've kind of got this reverse situation from what I think like a lot of people look at with nutrition where, you know, if someone's trying to lose weight, they're limiting, they're trying to find ways to limit the calories they're taking in. Whereas you know, for me at certain points in the training, I just kind of almost get sick of eating to a degree because you're trying to feed two or three of yourself when you're doing some of these back-to-back long runs sometimes. So if I have a couple extra pounds going into the season that I can just kind of like chip away at over the buildup, it's just a little bit of a buffer. It means a little less I have to try to focus on getting in uh, when I, before I get down to kind of that, that goal race weight. So, um, One more question is what is your plan to maintain ideal body weight during the transcontinental run? That is a really good question. You know, I've talked to people, I think it was, I interviewed Ray Zahab who's done a ton of these type of things. He's run across the Sahara. He's done all sorts of like actually extreme environment, both supported, unsupported stuff. And he's had ones where, you know, he lost a ton of weight during it. And he's had ones where he maintained weight. So Pete maintained a pretty good amount of weight. I think he maybe lost somewhere, if I remember right, between three to five pounds. So my plan is to get a close enough look at how much I'm going to burn per day through some of these simulations. Actually, one of the big reasons why I want to do a two to three day simulation is to try to get that a little more precise because it is a lot more difficult when you think about it. If you think about just like 
if I were to, let's say I'm just like not doing anything. I'm just sitting around all day and maybe I'm burning 2000 calories. If I cut out a thousand calories from that setup from 2000 to 1000, I'm definitely going to notice that I'm going to be hungry. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to notice that I removed half the food from my plate, that sort of thing. Now you put in the context of, you know, moving 12 to 14 hours a day. If I'm burning, let's say 12,000 calories, but I only consume 11,000, I'm not going to notice that from a food consumption standpoint. I'm not going to be like, oh, I really wish I had that extra thousand calories on top of the 11,000 I already did, but my body's going to notice it and I'm going to lose weight gradually over time. And if I'm losing a thousand calories per day over the course of multiple weeks, you can dig a pretty big hole. So I'm going to try to whittle down like kind of where the, the right ballpark is with that and then kind of have a starting point. And then I, I suppose I could weigh myself kind of throughout the project itself, just check in every couple of days and just see like, Oh, I've just lost a pound that week. Maybe I should, you know, try to find a way to get a few extra hundred calories in each day and try to normalize that. So that's kind of where I'm at with that right now. So, um, but it's a great question. All right, folks. Uh, thanks for tuning into this, this, uh, stream. Uh, I'm going to do another one next week, Wednesday at 1 PM Pacific to kind of check in with this week's, uh, or yeah, this current week's uh, kind of training and where things are at with that. And, uh, also if you're interested, I have some discounts for folks on some of the gear that I use. So if you head over to my, any of my social media channels or my website at zachbitter.com, I've got, uh, like a gear page or, I have uh, a list of links and discount codes on my main links on my Instagram or Twitter profile. Uh, things that are included in there are 15% off ultra footwear, 15% off egg weights, run pods, uh, 10% off purpose performance, 5% off S fuels, uh, nutrition products. You can get a free accessory to add to any Coros GPS watch that you get with uh, my promo code, Zach 10% off squirrels, nut butter, which is an anti-chafe. Uh, lube, which is much more valuable in humid weather than dry weather, I'll add. Uh, and and that, so there's some options for that too, as well as if you're interested in any of my training plans, you can find those at my website as well. So uh, thanks again for tuning in folks and uh, looking forward to uh, uh, tuning in again next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please consider checking out my website at zachbitter.com or my social media channels at ZachBitter on Instagram, at ZBitter on Twitter, and at Zach.Bitter on Facebook. You can also support the show by subscribing and leaving a review on your favorite podcast platform. If you have any questions or comments, please do not hesitate to send me an email at hpopodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for tuning into the show.